This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your president, your senators, and your congressmen and women are actively working to normalize the invasion at our border. But riddle me this, if 5,000 illegals a day is an allowable and manageable total, why are blue city and state leaders bitching and moaning about a few busloads? The show starts now. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. As our representatives squabble over how many illegals they're willing to catch and release into our nation per day, proud sanctuary cities are already at max capacity. Take Denver, for example. Starting February 5th, the city will begin to limit the number of days illegals are able to occupy shelters. So what happens when they overstay their welcome? Deportation? Jail? No. They'll simply be turned out in the streets of Denver in the middle of winter. Denver welcomed 40,000 illegals in the last year, which is nearly 5% of their total population, and that sounds like a lot because it is, and it's unacceptable. But to put it in perspective, if rhino sellouts like Oklahoma Senator Lankford get their way, 5,000 illegals per day would be an acceptable number to welcome into the USA. Yes. Per day. Now, Lankford and Ilk claim that the 5,000 per day threshold is a misunderstood element of the still secretive border bill draft, but it's not. Let's use Denver's crisis as an example. They are at a breaking point with 40,000 in a year, but under Lankford's border deal, we'd reach that number in eight days and call it an accomplishment. Mm, I don't think so, pal. Joining me now is former acting ICE director Tom Holman. Tom, it's always great to talk to you. Obviously, every time we talk for the last few years, it's been the same story. Our country is being invaded. But I want to know, in your perspective, how bad is this? Is this an exaggeration? Are we, you know, freaking out over nothing? Or is this as bad as it seems? This is the worst I've ever seen in my career. I started in 1984 as a Border Patrol agent. And as you know, Tommy, I spent, let's say, you know, over three decades, I worked for six different administrations starting with Reagan up to Donald Trump. I've never seen numbers anywhere like this, anywhere near this. This is historic. I mean, you got to, you know, went from the most secure border in my lifetime under President Trump. And within three months, we had historic illegal immigration under President Biden. First year, historic number, right? 1.6 million, 1.7 million. Second year, 2.3 million. He broke his own historic record. The third year, he broke his own historic record again. And we're on a glide path right now to be, all of historic records this coming here. So they've been in office three years. They keep breaking records, all bad records. And, and no one can tell me. You ask one Democrat, what has this administration done? Name one thing they've done to slow the flow. They haven't done a thing to slow the flow. All they did is send more resources to the border, 
to process quicker and release quicker because all they care about the optics. Can't have overcrowding. If it's overcrowding, we can't claim a secure border. So all they care is about the optics. They don't care about the crisis itself. And they, they've proven it. They just want to spread these people out across the country so it looks manageable. We all know it's not. I got to tell you, Tom, I spend a little bit of time in New York City due to work, and I don't feel safe there for a number of reasons. But I'll tell you this. What really concerns me is now that they've got this overcrowding, not just in New York, but in a lot of these cities, Denver, another example, when they're going to start just releasing these people onto the street, you know, some of them can work, most of them cannot and don't want to. I'm wondering what's going to happen when all of these people start getting desperate. What are they going to do? How are they going to act out? Um, a lot of young men within these people that are coming across by the millions. What do you think our cities are going to look like in the next six months to a year? Well, what's already happening, right? Our trauma centers or hospitals are being overwhelmed. Uh, you go to Yuma Hospital, if you're, you're a citizen a couple months ago and you want to get a, and have a baby at Yuma Hospital, you couldn't get in. Every, every maternity ward bed was filled by an illegal alien, you know, having birth to their future U.S. citizen child. So if you're a U.S. citizen, you have to drive hours away to, to get birth. And so our, our trauma centers are already feeling the impact. The hospitals are feeling the impact. The schools in New York City alone are feeling the impact. Classes of 24 and all classes of 40, right? And, and our social services systems, our food banks are, 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 are vanishing because now the number of people who take advantage of these food banks and other social services have, have tripled. And, and, and the criminal element itself, now, President, everybody wants to attack President Biden because he said a lot of, I mean, excuse me, President Trump said a lot of criminals come across the border. Well, not everyone's a criminal, but a lot of them are. Border Patrol last year arrested 86,000 illegal aliens that already had a criminal conviction. 124 of them was for homicide. So a lot of bad people across the border. But what people need to understand, besides the ones that are being released from the, by the Border Patrol, we got just shy of 2 million known gotaways. Two million. These are people that are captured on video, drone traffic or central traffic. They enter the country. We have images of them entering the country, but they weren't apprehended by Border Patrol. So they weren't processed. They weren't vetted. And here's what people need to understand. Why did almost two million people pay the cartels more to get away? Why didn't they pay less to get processed quicker, get flown to the city of their choice on a taxpayer dime, get work authorization, get a hotel room, free hotel room, three squares a day? And free health care. Why did almost 2 million people choose to pay more to get away? That's just scared the hell out of Americans because they're going to be the criminals that don't want to be vetted or fingerprinted. They're going to be the gang members. They're going to be the ones carrying fentanyl. They're going to be the ones sex trafficking in women and children. And God help us, they're going to be the one from a terror-sponsored country that came here to do us harm. Now, people need to understand that, I, that 2 million scares the hell out of me. Not just because a lot of them are criminals because they don't want to go through the process of being vetted and fingerprinted, but a lot of them in my opinion, are people from a, uh, a country sponsoring terrorism. Why do I say that? Because the board tells the rest of people from 181 different countries. Some of these countries are sponsored with terror. Since Joe Biden has been in office, they've arrested over 300 people on a terrorist watch list. Border Patrol's arrested on the southern border alone. Over 300. Under the Trump administration, we had 11 in four years. 11. So 300 apprehended. Almost 2 million gotaways. How many of them come from countries sponsored terror? That people say, well, Tom, you don't really have any evidences. Let me say this. As a guy who's been a law enforcement officer uh, over 30 years, if you're, if, you're, if you're a terrorist, why would you put yourself in a position to get an airline ticket or a visa like the 9-11 terrorists did 
when you know there's betting programs down in place? Why would you put yourself at risk of being uncovered? Why would you not just go to Mexico, pay the cartels a little extra money, and cross the southern border like two million others did and not get arrested? Well, you bring up a good point, and it's been mentioned that 9-11 and the horrific terror attacks that ensued on that day, you know, done by a few people. We've got millions in this country now. So if they can do what they did and cripple this nation, collapse the World Trade Center, um, just imagine what the millions that we've let in could do. And I'm sure not all of those people are bad people, but you know, I think something happens too, even when maybe normally nonviolent people, they start getting desperate which is what I'm most concerned about. They join up with other criminal organizations that are already in existence. We know MS-13 was really birthed this way, so how many more MS-13s are gonna be created from these individuals who were plopped here in cities that they're unfamiliar with that join up with already existing gangs? I'm concerned about that. In New York City, we just have video from, from yesterday and from the last couple of days of illegal aliens beating the crap out of NYPD officers, and we, we have that graphic video. Um, I'm thinking that this is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm thinking that this is just the, the beginning of it. We already know as well in New York City that the scooter issue where these illegals are going to these illegal pot shops and you know they're telling these people that, hey, pay for my scooter and I'll go do deliveries and work for you. All this money, of course, under the table. I'm worried about these people that might not even be terrorists when they came over. How many of them are going to turn to the streets and turn to criminal activity? And then, Tom, what does is, what is ICE do in that? If we get a new president, we get Donald Trump in office, I fear that we have let so many people in that containing this, even with a great president, is going to be a lot of work. How long would it take? Well, I agree with you. First on your first one, I agree with you 100%. The crime rates are going to rise with this uh, mass uh, uh, influx of illegal aliens, and it already has. Every sanctuary city, whether it's San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, all the crime rates are sky high. Why? Well, is it associated with massive amounts of illegal aliens going to those sanctuary cities where they know they're going to be protected? Why are they going to New York? Because they know they get a driver's license. They know they get uh, in-state tuition. They know they get a pre-hotel room. They know they get three squares a day. And, and, and New York City will protect them. They can, they can even get those gentlemen that were uh, be, uh, 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 the gentleman cops that just got beat up the film of your show. Those two police officers got beat up by a bunch of aliens. Do you know when they get booked into Rikers Island, they're already released? No one called ICE. No one called ICE because New York City is a sanctuary city. NYPD and the Department of Corrections are not allowed to call ICE. Even though these people are in the country and they're from another nation and ICE drop a detainer on them, they're going north. But how do we fix it? Look, we need Trump back. And, and, and Trump has proven he can secure the border. First thing we do is secure the border. He's proven he can do it. He'll do it again. But as far as ICE is concerned, you're exactly right. We've got millions of people that's been released in the past three years. So it's going to be hard. What do we need to do? We need to get more detention facilities from Congress. Congress needs to fund more detention beds. And Congress needs to fund more officer positions. And we need it. We need either the White House or, or Congress. I, I don't have a lot of faith in Congress. To, to create uh, either an executive order or a law that says this. If, if, if you enter the country illegally and make any claim, you get order removed by, uh, by an immigration judge and you don't leave, you will not qualify for another immigration benefit the rest of your life. That will cause a lot of leave. You know why? Because the first thing they do, as you know, Tommy, they'll have a U.S. citizen-born child. They then get uh, welfare and all these other benefits. But the, the U.S. citizen child can actually petition for their parents down the road. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if they knew 
Once you get order removal, you don't leave. You can't be petitioned by a U.S. citizen child. You can't qualify for any amnesty in the future. You can't qualify for any document in the future. You can't qualify for even a work visa to come to this country ever again if you don't leave. That will certainly help ICE narrow the, narrow, narrow the target down. But ICE is going to do what they did on President Trump, which I did when I ran ICE. 91% of everybody we arrested was a criminal, either convicted criminal or pending criminal charges or national security threats. We'll do that again. But here's the difference. No one's off the table. The right. Biden administration, Alejandro Mayorkas says, being in the country illegally on its own without an aggravated felony conviction, ICE can't even look for him. Under the Trump administration, if you find an illegal alien, you're going to arrest him, you're going to deport him because he's in the country illegally. It's not okay to be here in the country illegally. When I was the ICE director, first testimony I did and the left went nuts when I said, if you're an illegal alien in the United States, you better be looking over your shoulder. That's where it's supposed to be. The reason I don't go 100 miles an hour down the freeway is I don't, I don't want to get a ticket. The reason I don't lie on my taxes is I don't want to get a prison of tax evasion. It's not okay to enter this country illegally. It's a crime. Eight United States Code uh, 1325. It's a crime to enter the United States illegally. Then when we spend billions of dollars on this due process and you claim asylum, then nine out of 10, nine out of 10 of these people will get an order of removal. If we don't execute those four final orders of removal, then what the hell are we doing? Right. Shut down immigration courts. Shut down immigration courts, and they mean nothing. So the Trump administration will will take those uh, those final deportation officers, and we will execute. So Donald Trump has promised, if he is reelected, that he will have a mass deportation effort, which you just discussed. But logistically, as far as ICE is concerned, and given that we do have these sanctuary cities and entire states in California's case, logistically, how difficult would it be? to round up millions of people that have come in under Biden and remove them? It's going to be very difficult because many of them don't have a footprint. I can't tell you the way we uh, way that ICE targets people through various databases. I don't want to give it, give it up. But if they have a very, if they don't have a footprint, if you and I both have a footprint, right? We, we, we take a lot of balls, we own things, and, and there's a lot of other things, uh, whether social media, other things. Illegal aliens many times don't have a footprint. They do that on purpose. They get paid under the table cash. There's no payroll you, know, you can search. So it's very hard. And we have to count on local authorities. Now, President Trump was suing the sanctuary cities. So it was going very well. And when Joe Biden came in, also one of the first thing he did was told DOJ, stop the lawsuit against sanctuary cities. So we need to re-up the lawsuit in sanctuary cities and hold them accountable. But ICE is good. Like, we have a targeting center in Burlington, Vermont. It's a it's a national Truth of operations center, and they they scrape a lot of different databases and so forth, and they give a lot of good leads out. But if anybody thinks this is easy, it's not. It's going to be very difficult because they they cost millions to be released in this country, and many of them not don't have a footprint. It's going to be hard. But you know what? The men and women ice would give it one hell of a shot, and everybody says, "How do we move twenty million people, Tom? One at a time. As we find them, we'll remove them." But the, the difference is. No one's off the table. If you're in the country legally, I don't care if you're convicted of an aggravated felony or you're just here illegally. There's nothing in the Immigration Nationality Act, the immigration law, that says you got to commit yet another crime to be arrested by ICE. We will enforce immigration law. Music to my ears. I know it's not going to be easy, but hey, if they can come over 10 million strong in the last three years, then uh, one by one, you're right, we can uh, send them all right on back to where they came from. And I don't shed a single tear whatsoever for people who come into our country 
illegally whatsoever. Tom, we hope that we're going to see you in the next Trump administration. We're all hopeful we're going to get another Trump administration. And we're hoping that you're going to have a very active role because you know what you're doing and you've got the grit to get it done. Thank you, as always, for joining me. God bless you. And we hope to see you in a high position in, in, a, in a year and a half. <laughs> Don't count me out, Tommy. And thanks for doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing and tell the American people the truth. We need more people like y'all out there doing that. Absolutely. Thank you. And you know I will. And I'll talk to you very soon, Tom. God bless. Thank you. All right, folks, we've got actual fentanyl pouring across our borders, but that's not the only highly addictive threat Americans are grappling with. What about digital fentanyl, also known as social media? Well, my next guest is one of the over 5,000 claimants in a lawsuit against TikTok. Her fight against the platform is personal because she blames TikTok, its algorithms, and its targeted content for pushing her teenage daughter into an eating disorder. Lee Ames joins me now. Lee, thank you so much for joining me and in, in discussing this. I'm sure that it's something that's not always easy to discuss because it does involve, you know, your young daughter. But I want to give my audience a little background here. You know, there's a lot of young people addicted to social media, addicted to TikTok. It's become kind of a way of life now. But for your daughter, it was more than just looking at TikTok and liking TikTok and doing dances. It became something far darker. Let my audience know what happened with your daughter and, and how that process went for your family. Sure. So around the time that she started um, on the platform or got onto the platform, <laughs> it was when she was in uh, seventh grade. So she was in middle school. And right when she was on it, it was just before COVID hit, of course. And um, with that, it really turned into her utilizing that platform as a way to escape or, you know, not, I guess, for the things that were going on in her life at that time, it it manifested and helped kind of create this very dark space um, for her uh, in, in general. And so what had happened is I started to see her, you know, uh, starting to pull away from me, you know, in our relationship a little bit, I felt a little distant from her. Um, and I, I felt like the platform was just where she would go to like express herself instead of expressing herself, you know, outwardly to her family or even to her friends. Um, it was kind of lived on that platform. So that's kind of how, um, things started to happen. And then I started looking more into the actual platform because I didn't really know much about it. Um, I mean, of course, you know, when it started, I thought it was all about the dancing. And so, you know, she used to do these videos of dancing and things like that. And I thought it was totally benign. It wasn't a big deal. And, you know, it was fun. But as time went on, certain things were happening and she started down, to, you know, a dark path is really how I kind of saw her um, change. So tell me about, you know, the content and how it impacted her, not just from like a, a mind melting perspective, but she actually started to, uh, you know, have some real issues that were beyond just being addicted to the platform and, and, and being on it all the time. You know, you discuss the fact that she learned some really bad habits that she translated into real life. Yes. Yeah. There were things like one of the things that, um, I didn't know much about it was, you know, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like mangas, which is like a Japanese anime um, that was introduced to her by a friend actually that is on the platform. 
um, with her or, you know, uses it as well. And so they began to share these sort of mangas. Well, I had no idea the darkness that came of those sort of things <laughs> and what that, um, you know, what, what she kind of was um finding fascinating about it i guess and it was like the 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 actual killing and the and the um uh, the destruction that was being um you know placed through these mangas so it kind of started there um and then as time went on um she just didn't you know she began to express herself through the platform so she started doing these really dark um they call it for me page, I think is something that's on uh TikTok. I don't, you know, I'm not on the platform myself, so I don't know too much about it, but it's called a for me page. And what she would do is she would make all these videos, like these short clip videos, um, essentially talking about her mental health. Um, and when she started you, you know, using that as a way to, I guess, express herself, I don't really, you know, know to what what her goal was, but I think that through that platform, she started such things as cutting herself. Um, it, one of the things that the platform that she's even expressed to me is that it, it, uh, promoted her to do those things. It, it made her feel like she had to. And as a matter of fact, I just talked to her yesterday. Um, and I just, you know, get a gauge on, you know, what, what happened, like what made her, think or want to do those things. And she said to me, you know, Hey, I kind of learned it. You know, I heard about others doing that, like cutting and things like that. She'd always thought, oh, what, whatever that is. Well, as time went on and things were occurring, getting tough in her life for her at that time, um, she was like, well, maybe that's what I should do too. And as a matter of fact, um, if you would like, I can share a quote that she, <laughs> she gave to me yesterday. Um, just in, in sharing her voice, um, through this process too. So what she said was, um, TikTok romanticizes depression and cutting. It makes you feel so comfortable being in such a low stage in life. You don't want to leave with all the videos relating, basically saying you should feel this way, self-diagnosing and causing you to stay on TikTok. So, yeah, very interesting how, you know, it, the the idea that the mental health is like, she was like, now at her age of almost 16, she's grown up. I mean, we've gone through a lot of counseling and there's been a lot of intervention uh, throughout the process since, you know, the time she started using TikTok till today. Um, and she, <clears throat> you know, really, I, I was kind of blown away, actually. <laughs> to say the least, uh, to what extent of how the platform romanticizes or that it wants you to feel like, come here, you can, you can, you can do it here. You know, you can self-diagnose and then we'll also, you know, help you through that process or I'll make you feel comfortable living in this very negative space. Right. Well, I think that, you know, social media and it's not just TikTok, I think to some extent, all social media kind of does that. It's, it's a, and it's escape from reality that becomes your reality, especially for young people that have forgotten how to communicate with real people because they're so used to communicating online. 
But, you know, you're mm-hmm. part of this, what is essentially like a class action lawsuit against TikTok, which there's a lot of technicalities to actually suing TikTok, and, and, and I'll get into that. But I think there are people out there that would listen to your story and your daughter's story, and they would say, listen, you know, obviously social media is very addictive, but is it the platform's fault or is it something that's like coming of age and how we have to deal with the reality of social media and its impacts on young people? What is the line for you that you think that TikTok is actually liable for what happened enough to put the blame on the platform more so than just society as a whole? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, you know, my daughter's a minor. Um, I never even, you know, I didn't allow her to go on the platform. And as a matter of fact, we fought about it a lot. It was arguing, arguing, grounding her, taking it away, you know, taking her phone away, taking any access to it. In fact, I sat with her over a long debate and conversation, and we finally decided that we were going to delete the app. Done with it. Yeah, well, that didn't work out for maybe 24 hours. (laughs) She basically would go, you know, through other avenues, whether it was through her friends' phones uh, um, or another web browser you know, and log back in. So I even went into her account, I deleted it, which I thought was deleted. Unbeknownst to me, you could just go back in and reactivate it and never really goes away. So that's one thing. Uh, The other is is that I I had no control over, you know, her ability to get on the platform. I mean, it just is available. So as a parent, you know, uh, us going through such a newer type of navigating. I mean, you know, when I started having kids, Facebook barely was a thing. Right. You know, and so it's like as time's gone on and we see social media definitely is an issue. I mean, it it, it is across the board. And as you mentioned, other platforms provide the same sort of space, things like that. But with TikTok in particular, I believe that they had portrayed themselves as more of a, hey, come put your little video compilation together and share, you know, this fun stuff. Like here's a dance contest or things like that. Well, those things have manifested into these other site, these other type of um, things, such as one, uh, it was called like the lipstick challenge. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what that is, but apparently it is a, you know, lipstick that once it gets to the bottom, you off yourself. Now, I don't know if that's true, you know, and this, but this is information coming from my daughter and she's telling me that this was something that she came across on the platform. And so, you know, to what extent, I don't know if those people did kill themselves or not. (laughs) Terrible. But the idea that that is even out there is so crazy gross to me. And it is, uh, it's worrisome, of course, as a parent and then trying to also navigate this whole newer type of way of dealing with things, you know, having access so instantly. Um, And so, yeah, trying to be a good parent, trying to be a good listener at the same time and not just being like, no, yeah, you know, and and being hardcore because we all know that, you know, people and kids are going to do what they're going to do. I think education, giving enough information behind what it is, how and why, you know, you're doing things is important. So you want to, I want to talk about, you know, the 
what is essentially the lawsuit itself through Claims Hero. So what would you like to see happen? Would you like to see TikTok banned? Would you like to see more protections on TikTok? What is it that you'd like to see as the end goal that you think would provide a solution? Because as you mentioned, the young people are going to find a way to get on social media and they're going to find the content that they want to find and that content's going to come to them in a lot of cases. So what do you hope happens with this? My true hope is that this will be a beginning to uh, a change of how we look at such things as social media, even navigating into this whole AI world, everything we change, right? We are a society that's constantly changing. We just need to match up with what it is that's happening so that we can gain a little bit more control over what it is that's going out to the world. And I think companies, it's their duty <laughs> to make sure that what they're doing is providing a space that is safe. So you would like to everyone. see, would you like to see TikTok banned in the United States? Personally, uh, from a personal level, yes, I would. And the reasons is I've got other reasons to it. I don't like the fact that it's a Chinese owned company right. at all. I have a huge problem with that. We know that everything that is done through China is done through their military. I mean, it's, it's, right. it's, a, it's a socialist state. It's what it is. Now, with that said, what that means for me is that even though they represent themselves as an American company, I kind of feel like they're poaching on our society. Yeah. And quite frankly, when you look at the TikTok that's in China, is actually very educational. You know, of course, they control everything and all right. those sorts of things. But ours is like, come on over here and get dumbed down. I mean, I, I just mm -hmm. it, it feels that way. It's like it's come be stupid. And, you know, you're, you're good. <laughs> it's like, yeah. there's no real true, like, um, for me, like the platform just feels like it's a space to just get you hooked. Right. No, Not it absolutely is. And I think it's also interesting. You mentioned COVID. I, I found it quite odd when, when COVID just started, uh, two weeks to flatten the curve lie was sprung upon us. I thought it was very interesting that a lot of young people and a lot of adults as well, you know, <clears throat> China unleashed COVID on the world. And then as people were being locked down, they were accessing a Chinese communist platform in their downtime to make them dumber. So, Again, you're exactly right. Uh, in China, you're limited uh, how much time you can spend on the internet altogether, but then they export this filth over here and then young people are just getting progressively dumber. They question their identity. They, they seek self-harm. They don't know what gender they are. And a lot of that is brought on by China, which is very happy to see the United States fail. So I think whether this is successful or not, I think the fact that there's something that's being done and parents like yourself are taking control, uh, at least if, if nothing else, raising awareness and spreading the message to other parents that are unaware, I think that's a great step in the right direction. Uh, Lee, I, I know that you've experienced a lot. I know that you've gone through a lot with your family. Thank you for being so open and vulnerable about, vulnerable about it. And thank you for sharing your story with me. I truly appreciate it. And I wish you guys the best of luck on your fight. Thank you so much. And we appreciate you actually bringing this to light as well, because again, it's good, it's going to take to all of us right. to together to figure this out. I think at the end of the day, we all as Americans do want the same thing and we really need to like look at each other and say, okay, let's come together because it's really about being there for each other and not just leaving it out to the wolves and saying, oh, it's your problem, whatever. No, it's all of our problems and we've right. got to own it.
Right, and young people, obviously, the future. So it's important that exactly. we all join together as a community and do what we can. Again, thank you so much, and we really do wish you the best of luck with your battle. Thank you, Tommy. Appreciate it. God bless. Take care. All right, folks, the ladies of the left celebrate E. Jean Carroll's supposed victory over Donald Trump in the most cringeworthy way possible, even for them. It's time for Final Thoughts. Folks, if you needed further proof that modern-day feminism is a joke and a farce, look no further than the combined illusions of E. Jean Carroll, Rachel Maddow, and the ladies of The View. They are in full celebration mode this week after the news that the court has ordered Donald Trump to pay habitual cuckoo nut E. Jean Carroll $83 million in damages for so-called defamation. Now that in itself is troubling, but the reaction, well, it was and is even worse. Behold, modern-day feminism in its natural habitat. You've talked about using some of Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, or, Rachel. Yes. Tell me. I had such, such great ideas <laughs> for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely <laughs> new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Nothing. Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh. All right. All right. Okay. That's a joke. <laughs> we just walked out to the OJs for the love of money, which is the theme song of The Apprentice, and that's connected to the fact that you know who has to pay money, 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 money. They are just so damn excited about this verdict that may very well get overturned on appeal. But beyond that, beyond the verdict and their excitement about beating Donald Trump, what I find most egregious here is that these women count all of this as a victory for women's rights. This is their bar for women and their bar for the entire notion of feminism. This is how shallow feminism has become in the last 10 years, thanks in large part to Trump derangement syndrome. Because fighting the good fight for the feminists of today consists of bashing Trump, crying over Barbie movie award snubs, and endless admiration of Taylor Swift's every breath and movement. And that is pretty much it. When it comes to women's sports, women's spaces, and ovary-exclusive categories, well, not so much. Those things, things that would actually matter and matter to the founders of feminism, have been swept under the rug in favor of, let's be honest, the patriarchy. But that's too tough to tackle, so instead they celebrate the rape is sexy woman and her jokes about using her defamation money to go shopping. Abortion and bashing Trump. That's the agenda and the sad state of feminism and its phony gatekeepers. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.